What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Lovecraft Country Chronicles, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Please welcome your hosts, Mia Johnson and Natalie Zamora. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lovecraft Country Chronicles podcast. I'm Natalie Zamora, and I'm joined by my co-host. Hi, I'm Mia Johnson. And today is a special bonus episode because we have a guest also joining us, Karima Horn. Karima, say hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a journalist who runs a popular website you've probably heard of called The Blurred Girl, where she blogs about pop culture and conducts interviews with people in the media world. She also hosts her own podcast called The Blurred Girl Podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I don't I don't need an excuse to talk about this show. I absolutely <laughs> love Lovecraft Country. So, Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. So I know you've been watching it just like the rest of us. I guess just give us your general thoughts besides just loving it. We're loving it, too. Um, What are your general thoughts and what have been your favorite parts so far? Um, Well, I'm a fan of anything that uh, Jordan Peele has anything to do with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think what makes Lovecraft Country so amazing is the writing. Uh, It's like layered. It's this it's in the same way that. I think Watchmen did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's layered. There's that double entendre of characters that come in and out that you, they're very small that you don't think have much meaning or purpose. And then you find out, no, that was actually a real person like in real life in history. And uh, I love that part. I also love the fact that it's, it's like I said, masterfully written, even more masterfully acted. Um, Journey Smollett doesn't win something for this, she'll be robbed. Yeah, seriously. It's amazing, yeah. And also, no one can debate, like, everybody kind of knows the history of H.P. Lovecraft and stuff like that. We can get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure everybody kind of by now knows a lot of what his racist history and beliefs are. So it's it's something kind of freeing, be able, being able to take not just a person that was not great when they were alive, but also who patterned a lot of his monsters off of people who were different, whether or not it was race, religion, um, uh, physical 
um, um, attributes that he felt mm-hmm. were grotesque mm-hmm. and turn them into monsters. But there, it's almost like a reclaiming of it. It's like, yeah, we can actually acknowledge the fact that you own, like, created the concept and the the genre of cosmic horror, but we're making it our own by basically putting a lot of Lovecraft's lore, like the Shagoths and Cthulhu and reanimators and stuff like that, all which have been represented in the show, but putting them in the same world as the daily horrors of being black in America in like the 1940s. Um, That is a really level of writing and expertise that I think is fascinating, that you can write at those levels and have so many different people entertained and learn something from um from the show so misha green is like my god she's my hero right now (laughs) give her all the emmys (laughs) yes give her all the things i know yeah it's interesting yeah that you say there's so many layers to it because i think that's what we talk about every week on our recaps like there's just so much so much going on um and it's, you know, internally, externally, the monsters, the racism, it's just like so much is going on. It's so much to take in mm-hmm. and it, it's great. Yeah. yeah I've had yeah. to like most episodes this week. I haven't done it yet, but usually every episode I have to watch twice mm-hmm. just to like, okay, <laughs> watch it first to enjoy it. And then the second time it's like, wait, yeah. I need yeah. to go back. I need to yeah. see something, you know, that's been my job, like doing the recap. So like watch it, you know, I watched them all. <laughs> we got like five for the preview. And then I would have to go back because we also have our weekly discussions. I'm like, I've got like a page, two pages full of notes, like writing down, okay, yeah. this is what Letty is. And this is who the Braithwaites are. And <laughs> it's like jam packed with it. But yeah, it becomes fun. A lot of it is like you have to really remember and stick to it. But I, I think I'm, I'm enjoying it more because of it. Mm-hmm. I am too. And I also think the casting, like there's even yeah. subtleties down to the casting that are amazing. Like I said in the first episode, there is a reason why Journey was cast in that role, not just because she could sing or everything. Look at how dark skinned her sister is. Look at how dark skinned her yeah. brother is. Either Letty is either a product of rape or product of something that happened outside the marriage. That might have been why mm-hmm. her, she didn't get along with her mother. Like, there's all these other layers yeah. that are like when you see people, like the, in the last episode, there was a young man that was at the Ouija board, one of the boys that said, yeah tell me about my trip up north. Like, is it going to be fun? And everybody said, no, he was supposed to be Emmett Till. I saw that on Twitter later on. And I was like, what? Like I would never have thought of that. And it was, it all basically came down to apparently what he was wearing, like the character, how they dressed Mm -hmm. him and everything. He was dressed in the same clothes that Emmett Till, you know, was dressed in when he was killed. And again, subtle, like even there's a lot of things that happened in the last episode, that house where it was. And I think the other thing about it, I often wonder about this too. Like, would certain shows be doing as well if we weren't all locked in our houses? But I I think this is one of them. I think it would because this is written so well. But like, I know they're coming out with like a Tiger King movie and I'm like, I don't think, I think we were just bored. I think I took this too seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody on Twitter was like, uh, I was like, y'all know we only watch it because we thought we were going to die in six weeks. I don't think this is not what you think it's going to be, but this is one of those things that I think would have been, we would have loved either way, but yeah, this is my kind of show. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll touch back. We'll go more in depth about Lovecraft country, but can you just tell us just in general, um, your blurred girl brand, where did you come up? Like, how did you start doing your website? And can you just tell the reader, the listeners, if they don't know what blurred means? 
Sure. Um, so Blurred is basically Black Nerd, the Blurred Girl, just kind of like it says in the it says in the tin, the black nerd girl. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny. I started it. Uh, ooh, gosh. Um, technically, it started on Tumblr in like 2013. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, it was, uh, I actually come from, I, I was in um, doing editing and graphics for years for like commercials and promos and stuff like that. So that's sort of what I did by trade. And I've always been a geek. Like I've been a geek my whole life. So that part wasn't strange. Um, in fact, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood in New Jersey, but we were all geeks in my household. So the part about being weird and being a nerd flew past me because since it was a predominantly white neighborhood, just stepping outside my house, I was weird. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the geek part until I went to college. And people were like, what? You're Okay, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. anime, what? Like, I don't know what that means. And then it was like, oh, so um, I often say one of my favorite characters was um, Uhura from Star Trek. One, because mm-hmm. the whole house stopped when Star Trek came on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all reruns and stuff by that point, but it was still yeah. like, you're going to watch this show. <laughs> um, and me and my dad used to have arguments over like, which Star Trek was the best and Uh-oh. Babylon 5 versus, you know, and then everything else. Stargate, if it had like space, science, a ring, a taser, something like that, we watched it. And in addition to animation and everything like that, there really wasn't a comic book shop near me. I got comics, I saw comics when I was at school because mm-hmm. other people had them. Mm-hmm. But really I got into comic book collecting, collecting much older. I was watching stuff mostly. So, but I, one thing I realized when I got to college and then out later was that I knew there were more people like me. I just didn't know where to find them. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is before Black Panther. This is before Into the Spider-Verse. This is before Miles Morales. This is before, you know, any of that. And when I say before Black Panther, I obviously am referring to the movie. Yeah. I'm not saying the comics. (laughs) For people who think that I don't know comics. Mm -hmm. Um, But so it's really when I decided to do The Blur Girl, the, the, the... site was actually called something else on Tumblr and then I kind of switched it over mm-hmm. uh, and I had conversations with several people like because a lot of us were calling ourselves black nerds or calling ourselves blurs, but the the term hadn't really reached mainstream it was not it's just sort of in the vernacular uh, among us, ourselves because even though if you're considered a minority in a particular area you still might not uh be identified as somebody who likes genre entertainment or genre things Mm -hmm. because of your color or your gender. And I thought it would be really easy, like the blur girl, if you know what that means, you know you found your tribe. Mm-hmm. And so that is one of the reasons why um, I created it. And then um, things kind of blew up. <laughs> it's really funny. Things kind of blew up when I wrote an article that was called 25 Reasons You don't make money at Comic Cons. And it's really, I think, and I, the two of you might have gone through this. It's always funny, like the well researched, really well written and edited seven times articles mm-hmm. get like no hits. Yeah. The ones that you write at two o'clock in the morning where you're just like banging away at the keyboard for some reason go viral. That was, that was one of them. Um, and it was basically, I feel like I'd come from New York Comic Con. I can't remember what it was. It was safely coming. I was like, the day after I came from a convention. And I was just tired of walking down these aisles of people that would either ignore me, not look up, not discuss. When I asked a question about like what they had, were only showing me pictures of Storm. I was just like, really? And then also 
seeing all these people on Twitter complaining like, oh my God, I didn't make any money or this happened, that happened. I'm like, no one buys comics anymore. And I'm like, no, you're just not talking to your audience. Yeah. And that I think was what, one of the big things that's happened basically uh, when we're talking about genre and people of color specifically black people and people who are indigenous is that we're not seen. It's not so much. It, I think now you're you, you will hear the vitriol from people who have been in the, who've considered themselves quote unquote true fans. If they don't want to see any social justice stuff, but what it comes down to is the audience has been changing. The audience has been changing for over a decade. So, but the people who are making the comics and making the toys and making the books and animating the shows are not. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you have stories that are predominantly told by straight cishet white men and, you, and the, the whole genre has been catering to them, making mm -hmm. them look good or showing them how to achieve by uh, creating characters that are women that they want to get, like a, which might be the blonde, blue, blue eyed mm -hmm. you know, woman or something. Then somebody coming in and going, I don't like this. I'm not interested and sales dropping is confusing because you're like, mm -hmm. well, what do we do? <laughs> um, and it isn't all about, yes, it has turned into something much bigger and it's a conversation that I think we should have had a long time ago, but it actually came from sales. Like there were, there were black characters. One of the reasons why I started Blurred Girl was to show like there was a lot of really, there was, we had three black uh, Captain America's before y'all even heard of Sam Wilson, mm -hmm. but you know, and just kind of showing sort of history of, characters of color we've had mm -hmm. a uh an indigenous deaf superhero that was right alongside mm -hmm. um um some of the marvel characters that her name was echo uh, right yeah. along some some of the characters like daredevil but nobody knows about her because she's never been put on mm -hmm. tv you know so there's been a, some amazing characters in the mainstream as well as indie but what what started to happen which nobody was ready for was the audience changed and then when the audience changed, mainstream was trying to figure out how to, along with social media, which was kind of blowing them up, try to course correct. And what came after that was sort of let's, okay, let's just put somebody black on the cover. They'll buy it. Cut to black Twitter going, that's cute. Yeah. But, you know, and that's also even in gaming, same thing. Mm. You have these characters that are put on the cover and it's like NPCs. I remember Far Cry. I'm like, really? <laughs> This really, but we can't play with her though. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's just one of those. Again, if you don't have anybody that is part of the demographic that you're trying to reach behind the scenes, helping to create the content, helping mm -hmm. to create the story, the game, the comic, the movie, mm -hmm. you're gonna miss. You're going to you're you're not going to stick that landing, because inevitably, it doesn't matter how much you think you know. And I think a lot of people in the last two months have, have have come to this conclusion. I thought I was fine. I have black friends. I had no idea all of these things were an issue. Mm -hmm. Because, and the reason why you didn't is because we wouldn't tell you because yeah. we know you wouldn't listen. Or I don't see race. No. That's actually one of the worst things that you could Ooh, possibly say to somebody. Please, I don't see yeah. Because you're basically yeah. saying, you're basically saying I... I am not going to acknowledge something mm -hmm. that you are because it makes me uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so when somebody says that to me, I go, okay, so you're not interested in having a conversation. Yeah. You know? And so I think that's where we are in this. Uh, I think there's this acknowledgement now, like, okay, we've been doing it wrong. Yeah. Quick. What do we do? Because we don't have any <laughs> fill in the blank. Yeah. And 
that, you know, that's the other, I think I, I've, the last couple months I've had so many phone calls. Do you know any, <laughs> fill in yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the marginalized voice, fill in the blank. And, that, and that's what always surprises me is that these people are like, oh, well now we do need, you know, these writers talk about these issues or these speakers or these uh, directors or actors. And it's like, what do you mean you need to find them? You know, they're all over the place. I don't yeah. understand. To me, I can't understand why they think there's such a they have they're having a hard time finding these roles or finding, you know, these positions to fill. But then at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, you know, is it, you know, long, long internalized bias that has created this or I really don't know. But yeah, it is to me fascinating that there's a scramble. But also the system isn't set up for us. Yeah, it just isn't like I the one of the things I remember I had a conversation with Che Hadari Coker when he was directing, uh, sorry, show running Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And he was having to constantly have conversations with Ryan Coogler because there's so few black people that are allowed into the Stuntman's Association mm. that they had reshoots. And Simone Missick's stunt, stunt woman for Misty Knight is Adora Milaje. And they're like, OK, but wait. She just cut her hair. So y'all got a wig because we can't. And they had, I mean, because it was a lot of back and forth because Mm -hmm. they're not letting us into the unions. They're not letting. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to make really quick changes when we've all the doors, no one has been paying attention to how many doors have been shut in front of us. So people are yelling, "We, we need, we need, where are they? And there's lines of black and brown people that are outside all of these doors that have been shut. Mm-hmm. But they don't even realize that there's doors mm-hmm. on that part of the building. That's like the best metaphor I could use for it. Because so I, I do think there's genuine people out there like, I want to help. I've even spoken to people that are like, thank God, I've been trying to do this for ages. But now <laughs> that they're actually letting me and it's not like I, I'm not, you know, I don't have to explain the human resources what I'm doing and that I'm not trying to be biased. I can actually reach out to you, mm-hmm. which is sad. But again, that's how the system was set up. It was not set up to support us. It was set up to support the straight, cis, het, white men that yeah. originally created it. So that's what we mean by it has to be, I don't know about dismantled, but it has to be revamped yeah. so that these conversations, you know, not only can the conversations happen, but there's acknowledgement and somebody that, uh, here's the other thing. <laughs> the Highlander syndrome is the other problem because I've suffered from this. And I call the Highlander syndrome, for those of you who remember the 1980s movie and the t- subsequent TV show, at the end, there was always, he would always say what? There can be only one. At the time of the quickening, mm-hmm. there could be only one because it all came down to the Highlander. So the problem is you get one of everybody. One of, we have an Asian, we have a black person, we have yeah. a woman, we have somebody who's queer. And then you try to basically base all of your diversity decisions on one person or one person at your organization or one person that fits an ethno-demographic thing for you. And unfortunately, that doesn't work either because we are legion. We are many. Like, we have so many voices and that's where the concept of intersectionality comes in. And I've had to tell people, I if they want me, I roll deep. Most people know me. Like, if they want me to speak on something or do something, I'll go, okay, so I'm bringing these three people. <laughs> and I try to make sure that the voices that I'm bringing, I don't want everybody to agree with me. Yeah. I, I, I love Discord. And that's the other reason why I love Lovecraft Country, because there's yeah. so many discussions that are, that are happening. But that is the other thing that's great about the show. There's that intersectionality 
of voices, of types of people, of views of the world. And I think that, again, I think that's where, I think that's where successful storytelling is headed. It's been here all this time. It's been couched under terms like Afrofuturism and speculative lit and things mm-hmm. like that. But we've been doing this. It's kind of like when people were talking about uh, uh, Watchmen. I've said Watchmen oh. is basically the best fan fiction I've ever seen <laughs> because it's taking a universe that already exists mm-hmm. with characters that already exist with something that we're all familiar with and then we're just taking it out of the original universe yeah. and placing it just to the left over here in this in this city. And it's amazing. And and quiet as it's kept, fan fiction was in the early aughts the only way people who were queer or or mm. uh, or a uh, marginalized community could see themselves in their superheroes. That's yeah. why AO3 is like the biggest fan <laughs> fiction written, you know, for writing site because people still go there to see themselves represented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, heavy, heavy, <laughs> heavy stuff. Yeah, and so, yeah, that does bring me into my first point I was going to say about Lovecraft Country in terms of representation. I mean, so obviously um, it's about a black family, but beyond that, you know, they show every type of person, um, you know, there's different interests and personalities in these characters. And it's really great that we see, you know, Atticus likes fantasy books, uh, D likes to draw and write comics, Hippolyta is into astronomy. So I think it's just a really great place to see, you know, there's more than just one stereotype of a black person. You know, there's, these are people like, this is a show that's showing real people. So why, like, do we know why the geekiness, nerdy stuff is so heavily associated with white people? Like where did that start? And why is it surprising if a person of color likes comics or horror or video games? Like, why is that even a thing? I think it's a matter of perspective because it was never surprising to me. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, again, it goes back to the mainstream, you know, who's writing the stories? Who's writing yeah. Hollywood? Who's creating things? Mm-hmm. So who's, who's hiring you people? They're hiring their friends mm-hmm. and they're writing stories that they know about. It's the same way you can have, you know, 10, 11 seasons of, you know, Friends, Seidenfeld, <laughs> and Sex in the City that all take place in New York and they don't put any black people on any of the shows yeah. Yeah. for the last season. It, we're not seen. Yeah. And again, it's not... I think the, I think the p- problem that people have when they think about this kind of stuff is like, when they think of racism, they think of a burning cross and a hood. They don't think of omission. Right. They yeah. don't think of ignoring. I mean, one of the reasons why I've, I've said that I, I was a big fan of Aurora growing up was because she was the only she was the only black woman on like in the in the crew on the original Star Trek. She always sat in the back and she rarely had many lines, but she was there. And she also I don't think people realize this until the later J.J. Abrams versions of this, but she spoke multiple languages of basically just about everybody in the galaxy, which means she was listening and she could Mm -hmm. understand multiple, and that's literally just basically been my career in terms of editing and and graphics, as well as my fandom. I'm when every time somebody has been like, like even how I got involved with sci-fi, I was asked as an editor. That's when my, my hobby crossed with my, uh, uh, my hobby crossed with my uh, employment, I guess. Um, I was asked, I was subcontracted through a post-production company 
who was hired by Sci-Fi to edit the live show out of San Diego Comic-Con. And I'm in the room and the, the executive producer's running around going, does anybody know anybody that we can hire as an editor to go on this trip with us to, to cover comics? I don't know anything about comics. And I was like, <laughs> and, my, and my assistant was like, have you ever had a conversation with Karima ever? Mm -hmm. Because that's like all we talk about, our comics <laughs> and animation. So it's just, we're, we're just not seen. Mm -hmm. And the the same thing happened in geekdom it's just like when someone goes oh my god you're a girl and you read comics yeah you know mm -hmm. it's like why wouldn't i and it's and i also think that's the other thing that's great about lovecraft country is that like you said hippolyte is like into astronomy and stuff like that mm -hmm. and people were like you know wow like how how would they know that i'm like why wouldn't they <laughs> yeah. like yeah like so you, you have absolutely no problem like seeing like people in the thirties and forties talk about when we're talking about Einstein or or Tesla or anybody else, and that's like back then. Why do you think that they existed on the planet by themselves? Mm -hmm. Because the pictures don't exist of us. Mm -hmm. The pictures exist, but they're in our families, you know, yeah. photo albums. They're yeah. not. They're not for public display. So that is the rewriting of history that I think a lot of people are talking about. Also, even when they're talking about uh, when we get into political things like the pulling down of statues and stuff like that, people don't realize that a lot of the statues that were put up around the turn of the, like the century were put up up here in the north, which is the other thing that Lovecraft Country covers. A lot of the racism mm -hmm. that exists in the north because there is this weird like disconnect thinking once you cross the Mason yeah. Dixon line yeah. Yeah, it, no was, racism, it was easy right <laughs> it was different but it still existed yeah and there's uh there was a lot of people in the Midwest who entered that so I think I think it's just again omission where if there is a whole bunch of people that you've never seen and I and I and again I don't think it's on purpose you don't know what you don't know until you see it so mm -hmm. it's just kind of like buying a new pair of, pair of headphones you get a new set of headphones and they sound amazing and you go, oh my God, how, what have I been listening to all this time? Yeah. You know, and so I think that's what's been happening to people over the past few years. They're like, wait, there is an audience for this. And I don't mm -hmm. think many people realize how many black women there were. Again, I didn't know mm -hmm. until my site started blowing up and my Twitter started blowing up that, oh, there's a lot of black women yeah. who... <laughs> You know, and I, I know my friends, like I've got friends, I have a friend that's a Batman fanatic. Mm -hmm. Everything from the time she was pregnant to the time she had her baby, Batman, everything. <laughs> the kids, I, I think she might have even named her son, his middle name might be Bruce. Like a huge black woman, huge Batman fan. Everything's Batman. Um, but these are my friends. Like I don't, yeah. so the concept of, but you also have to realize my background is different. I'm used to people not being used to seeing someone like me at all. So we never get to the geek part. Right. I actually have more black people look at me and go, I don't know. What is that? And yeah. then, or, or when things like Black Panther happened, tons of people hitting me up, like, can you tell me what this is and where I can get my kid these comics? Because I have no <laughs> idea what he's talking about. <laughs> so I, I don't think it was that nerd culture didn't know i think just the general populace mainstream yeah. media didn't know mm -hmm. and the sense of stuff that's where the blurred community comes from it's not necessarily underground it's yeah. sort of if somebody has blurred in their handle or somebody has black nerd because there's a there's black people that don't use the term mm -hmm. there's certain things that you'll see like oh i'm a fan of 
you know, uh, Sailor Moon or I'm a fan yeah. of this or I'm a fan of that. And you go, okay, I see. <laughs> or an icon that is a black character from anime or something. Mm-hmm. You, it's kind of an indication like, okay, so we could probably talk a little crunchy roll. You know, <laughs> okay, I got it. So I, I don't think it has been a, I think now when we're talking about in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. there, I think, unfortunately, when it comes to comic books, comic books are still the only direct market sort of industry. So where everything else is very, and, and comicsology is actually now, you know, obviously digital, but where mm-hmm. everything else existed, really a lot of, let's get this in front of people as fast as we can, mm-hmm. social media or delivery. I mean, I'm in mm-hmm. New York. You can get McDonald's delivered. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but what's happened is the way Diamond's distributor, who is basically has the monopoly on distributing comics in this country, operated is it was really direct market. You still had to call your comic book shop, tell them, I'd like this comic, and physically show up a month later to pick it up. So you're not mm. prepaying for it. You're mm. just telling the onus of the cost is going on the comic book shop. Mm. So there's a whole bunch of people who didn't start buying comics until Iron Man, mm-hmm. until Avengers, yeah. that are like, wait, I'm sorry, I need to order something and then get in a car. I have to come to you <laughs> and pick this up and then come, and then I have to do a box. I have to actually keep ordering things. And then, so there's a select group of people that still order their comics like that. And that, mm-hmm. and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's all these new people that are like, I don't understand what that is. I'm just going to go to Amazon. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to go to Comixology. And, and Diamond, kind of like Netflix, was not reporting digital numbers. Mm-hmm. Up until like ba- basically a year ago, they just wouldn't report wow. them. They're like, no, what what matters is Brit, wow. and we've seen all of that fall apart since the pandemic. Obviously, right. you see DC pulling away from Diamond and stuff like that. So, in terms of the industry, in terms of comic books, it's really turning a corner right now. And a lot of the indie comics are doing really well because they're like, here, buy it on our site. Just buy, pay for the PDF or pay for this. Mm-hmm. Like you got it, and so it's taking the overhead, you know, out. And so I think we're going to be getting some really interesting stories now because people Mm. are looking at a lot of comic books as storyboards. And I think that we're going to see a lot of those movies move into development at Netflix or Disney or whoever whoever (laughs) else um, in the next couple of years. But I don't think the original omission was on purpose. It's just, again, society as a whole just doesn't see us. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was most excited about seeing this is that it's like I had my own inner circle I guess you would say like prior to like really being on social media too like I just knew my own inner circle um like I am from the south side of Chicago like you know they have on the show so yeah all I would see really is my black friends and some of us you know are into the anime and then the anime (laughs) or you know some of us are into the comic book movies or Star Wars is what I'm really big into um but yeah it's like you really are in your own little bubble until you have things like the internet and Mm -hmm. and now Avengers is getting big and all these things so that's why I was really surprised to be like oh my gosh that's me that's my family on this tv like uh funny enough my dad was texting me like yesterday and you know because of Chadwick Boseman's passing there's been this demand for Black Panther uh merch and action figures so my dad (laughs) 
after work drove to our local comic book shop to see what they had in the store <laughs> and i think he bought like the last black panther action figure he bought the last oh my bought the last <laughs> and um wow. and he's still on the hunt today <laughs> trying to find like the whole black panther set but it, it yeah it is just kind of amazing to see those experiences you know like being a black nerd reflected on tv that's kind of just what i you know love about this show <laughs> and, and the fact that it's normal i think that's something i remember saying about black lightning when nefisa's yeah. character was you know thunder thunder was queer from jump and nobody said anything <laughs> it was like the the way she was introduced where is she right now she's at her girlfriend's house yeah. next line and i was like <laughs> that's all we're talking about yeah. just to, it's a <clears throat> conversation and not to say that there aren't there isn't a time and a place for protests and there isn't a time and a place for having those discussions and or if you're doing a biopic or something like that, that's very important to the story. But it's really nice sometimes to just be a geek yeah. and just, you know, and just be there. I think um, I think Stranger Things had a little of it, but mm -hmm. the fact that mm -hmm. this is a period piece yeah, and it's showing people that could have been our grandparents Mm -hmm. that were really geeky the way I know mine were <laughs> you know is kind of it, it's very refreshing and it's also not the fantasy part of the story <laughs> the fantasy yeah. is the monsters yeah <laughs> the fantasy is not you know and so it's funny because I think there was people that have been watching the show going oh my god I'm feeling attacked and I'm like Okay, are you related to one of these people? Are you, are you a Shagoth or something? Because you should not be offended by, you know. But I think, yeah. I think in light of everything that's going on right now, there's a lot of people that feel like in, inundated. It's like, oh my God, I don't want to have to be inundated with stuff about race every day. And I'm like, well, try being that's a black life. woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so just talking about the horror genre in general. So, I mean, I'm a horror fan, so I know just off the top of my head, you know, movies that are produced by a black person, cast as black people. But I feel like in, in the mainstream of horror movies, there aren't that many that are super popular. And of course, you know, we hear Jordan Peele's name thrown around all the time because he, he's been a trailblazer, you know the Academy Award nominations and everything for Get Out, you know, he's bringing this, he's expanding the genre, I would say, to be, uh, to represent more people. So, like, why do you guys think that a Black produced horror movie or a horror movie that has a predominantly Black cast, why aren't they more popular? Is it just because the higher ups at studios are like, we don't want this? Or, like, why are there not more that are mainstream? Yeah, they're, no, they're out there. <laughs> they, they are. And I also think, okay, so there's two things. Um, one, we are also looking at the history. Like, there's a, for people who are listening who have never heard of it, there's a great documentary you need to see called Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. It's based on a book written by um, uh, Robin Means Coleman. And it was executive produced by Tanana Reeve Dew and Ashley Blackwell. And Ashley has an amazing website um, called Graveyard Shift Sisters. It's all about black women in horror. Um, but the movie is basically, uh, it was directed by Xavier Bergen. And it was basically about, it's about the fact that 
black people have actually been in horror for a very long time, Mm -hmm. but we're just, we just weren't paying attention. Again, that concept Mm -hmm. of being seen. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, the easiest way to explain it is sort of to think of it like the earliest horror movie for many people in this country was probably birth of a nation and birth of an, in birth of a nation, the monster is a black man. It's a white man, a black face, obviously, but it's a black man. So the fact that we have always been depicted as the monsters, even Lovecraft himself would describe Mm -hmm. as such, Mm -hmm. the concept of us actually being a protagonist in the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's like hard for mainstream to recognize because we would never be the hero. We would always be the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but then if you go back to Night of the Living Dead, yeah. the original one, the original one in 1968, that by George A. Romero, that actually was an independent horror film, but it was considered, you know, I think a cult classic now, but I think back yeah. then it was considered very controversial mm-hmm. because the same, I think the same week it came out, the same year it came out definitely is when Martin Luther King was shot and killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was mm-hmm. starring Dwayne Jones, who was a black man who would basically was helping all of these people escape from the zombies. And at mm-hmm. the very end of the film, all of these white people shoot him because they think he was going to harm the white female protagonist. So Romero decided that he was going to do it this way. And it was it, when it came out, it was like sort of vilified by a lot wow. of people. because like, how could you say this? And then right after that, Martin Luther King was shot. And so it was, it sort of also uh, proved another point that Tanana Reeve Dew had said, which was to most black people or to, to in this country, black, black history is horror. (laughs) And I think that's why she Mm. teamed up with Jordan Peele and wrote some stuff for uh, uh, Twilight Zone. That's basically Jordan Peele's ethos, taking everyday things and making them terrifying. Like <laughs> I'm drinking tea out of a mug because I can't use a teaspoon anymore. Um, <laughs> I know <laughs> it's terrifying. I can't go in my basement without three people coming with me. Um, so, but it's that again, this, our images were always, we were the monster. And then mm-hmm. even when you come forward into pop culture and you look at the fact that the trope of the black man always being killed first. Yeah. Subconsciously, you were getting the, it, and I've always said this, I, I'm not saying that any scholar has written this. I, this is just something that I think. Subconsciously, I feel like they were getting the other monster out of the way first. Or mm. this is the sacrifice. Now we can see what the real danger is. Yeah. It's kind of like fridging the woman. Yeah. Like the concept of fridging the woman in comic books, it, it basically came from uh, the killing joke when uh, basically the a character that is with Robin's character is killed and like chopped up and put in the fridge. <laughs> That's where oh, the term right. came from. But it's his impetus for, for getting revenge. So the concept mm-hmm. is you fridge the woman, you kill the woman, and that makes the protagonist even stronger. And now he's got a reason to go out there and, um, you know, save. So yeah. you kill the black guy, you kill the woman, and now the white straight dude has, is going to go save everybody. So that's a general trope. That's yeah. not new. And so I think it just also fed itself into horror. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we're the monsters, you know, it's not even the concept of the final girl. 
I I did <laughs> not see a final girl that was a black woman. The only one I can think of right now, actually, is from Tales from the Crypt, from um, Demon Knight, mm. when Jada Pinkett Smith mm. is the actual knight, and you don't realize it almost till the very end. It's such a goofy movie. Oh, yeah, but I have not Billy, seen it. <laughs> Billy Zane is completely over the top. He's like, sure, scenery. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where, and the only reason why that happened is because Ernest Dickerson, Spike Lee's uh, cinematographer turned director, fought for her. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. They, yeah. they, they were not having it. He's like, he put his own job on the line, and that's actually in Hard Noir, I believe. He put his own job on the line. He said, if you don't get her, you lose me. And I think wow. they'd already were in pre-production or something like that. So unfortunately, that's what it takes. Yeah. That's what change across the board takes. And people don't realize it. It doesn't, I mean, lately, it, apparently it takes getting hit in the face with a rubber bullet. But normally, um, it's much less lethal than that. But it's still very painful. And that is for real change to happen. Somebody needs to stand up and risk their job risk their livelihood to say this happens or I leave. Mm -hmm. And very few people are willing to do that. We're all, we can, we can all do it from behind a keyboard, but to stand up and say, I'm willing to lose my job. That's, that's tough. And that's what it took to get a lot of these movies made with the protagonist, you know, with the protagonist Mm -hmm. in the, in the foreground. But I think even things like Candyman, which Mm -hmm. is sort of held up as a, you know, a a, a beacon, Mm -hmm. Candyman was about a black man who fell in love with a white woman that was killed for it. That's right. the original. I'm mm-hmm. not, I don't know what Yaya's doing. The new one, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but as long as we see Yaya, I don't care what he does. Um, <laughs> Yaya could just sit there and, and read the phone book. I don't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, and then he was killed. And then when he was brought, you know, then he was the monster. Mm-hmm. So it's funny when people say like, but what about Candyman? I'm like, what about it? Yeah. That proves my point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think that's the, the, the disconnect. If we're not the monster, yeah. the great thing about Jordan Peele is he toys with that. Mm-hmm. He, he makes you think that might be the monster because you're so used to seeing that. Yeah. Ah, ha, ha, but it's not. This is the mm-hmm. monster. So I think that's why everybody, that's what's so awesome about Jordan Peele's psychological horror and now what Misha Green is doing in mm-hmm. that same school is that we're showing you a monster that you're like, no, that's a monster. That Shagoth <laughs> is the monster. But then you go, mm, but where are they? is it though? Look what they came from. Yeah. And then, you know, what are they being controlled by? Uh, so all of those things are, um, I think that is what makes this show and a lot of, uh, even science fiction writing mm-hmm. fascinating to me when you, when you go one way and it's like, Oh wait, no, it's this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> do we think that, I mean, so everybody that we've talked to about Lovecraft country says it's very impactful. Everyone loves it. It's a, it's a really great show. And the fact that it's on HBO with like, a-list celebrities is also really great. So do we think that this is going to change the way people of color are represented, especially in the genre too, in horror, in sci-fi? I mean, I'm really, really glad that it's getting really popular and everything, but do you think this will have an impact? I mean, having Jordan Peele's name, of course, too, also (laughs) makes people want to watch it. But what do you guys think? I definitely think, um, well, first of all, Misha Green, who is the actual director, yeah, showrunner, yeah. she came from underground, 
which mm-hmm. which was an amazing show, which some of with some of the same cast, Journey and mm-hmm. other people were on that show also. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of taken off TNT because that's turned into a different network now. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. It's already made it's already made an impact. Yeah. It's ama- like even if I mean, and I'm not saying this. I think though I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the season. But even if at episode three we go, okay, it's not that great from here on in, mm-hmm. it's already made it an impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think it's just gonna get better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing though is I want and this this happens whenever I have a conversation about diversity and inclusion. We yeah. wouldn't be fighting over this one thing if there were seven of them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so if we had, I want ten shows like Lovecraft Country yeah. and yeah. two of them are going to suck. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> like, I know you were saying like, have we turned a corner? I don't know. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm hearing some things about, um, what's the, the, uh, is it antebellum? The new, the new. Oh uh, yeah. Um, Janelle Monae. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing some stuff that's not great about that. I don't know, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. I want to fail. Yeah. Like, like I want us to, I wanted, because that's, that's the other problem that happens in terms of writing in Hollywood and stuff like that. People and nothing against Ryan Johnson uh, or anybody like that, but you know, they get chances and they can yeah. make mistakes and they still get hired. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Shyamalan. Like yeah. they, they, these are all people who, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the person that did the Jurassic Park movie. The first Jurassic world was directed I thought that was oh, Ryan Johnson, but it might be somebody uh, else. Was it the first girl. Yes, it was Colin. You're absolutely right. That's who yeah. it was. Oh, oh, oh. But that just wasn't his first franchise movie. That was his first movie ever. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and Spielberg was like, "Here, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, and I'll work with you, and I will, I will bring you up." I'm not against that. That's been happening in Hollywood for ages. But yeah. We should get that too. Yeah. And I think that's the amazing thing that Ava DuVernay is doing. That's the amazing. Mm-hmm. There are more women that are now basically being accepted into the director's guild because they've been able to sh- just shoot one episode wow. with Ava mm-hmm. because we're not, I know people who are uh, costume designers, same thing. There are people that just weren't getting a chance yeah. because they weren't getting in. So, and not being trained. So I would love to say that we've turned a corner and this is going to be the most amazing thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we're going to open more doors. We're going to get more shows. Yeah. But I think some of these movies are going to fail and some of these shows are going to fail. But I don't want the door to shut if they mm-hmm. do. We yeah. should be allowed to make mistakes and then come back and our sophomore effort or our new movie. Because here's the thing. People didn't have high hopes with Lindelof and Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Because people hated how Lost ended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but pe- just people complete. that's the same guy? I didn't yeah. know that was the same guy. <laughs> and it's, so it doesn't mean that you can't have more, you don't have more stories. It means that everybody needs, um, needs a shot. And also, to Lindelof's credit, Watchmen was successful because he led from the middle. Mm. So he knew the story he wanted to tell, and he surrounded himself by the people that could actually tell it. Mm. And that's why that show also did so well. I think... One of the reasons why some of these women, female characters in Lovecraft Country are written so well is because that writer's room is full. They have, yeah. women, they have people who are queer. They have, you know what I mean? Like, I think, mm-hmm. again, if we're behind the scenes, we can help tell the story. Yeah. As <laughs> simple as that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not difficult, but it's like, for some reason, it's like, let's have a meeting or a moratorium. No, you mm-hmm. don't. It's really simple. Yeah. 
know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of um I think like back when Captain Marvel the movie was first out, there was this whole conversation about, you know, like she was in Marvel Studios the first solo female protagonist. So you know a lot of little specificities yeah. there. But then just thinking about the past history of female uh, superhero movies, I think like the early 2000s, you had the, was it the Electra, whoever that was. Um, and yeah, then, we don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> and then they even cited like the Holly Berry when she was um, uh, that yeah. woman. That woman, yeah. And so it was like it for those movie studios, it was just like, okay, you know, two, two bad eggs ruin the bunch. And now there's, you know, we're, we don't trust women to be superheroes or be in movies anymore. Um, which is like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like how many male superhero movies have been terrible and they yeah. still are remaking the same one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and also, just I, usually when that comes up, I go, okay, just for, go with me for a minute and think about it this way. Look at Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And then look how Wonder Woman looked and appeared in Justice League. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Her lines were shorter. She didn't make any sense. All of a sudden, everything's a low-angle shot, and we're looking at her yeah. boobs. Yeah. Now, not to say we didn't see her butt or her boobs in <laughs> Patty Jenkins' version, but it was like... I, and I remember saying, like, either Patty Jenkins is a genius, and um, Gal Gadot is a terrible actress, and they've got an amazing <laughs> editor... Or somebody does not know how to write for this woman <laughs> on the Justice League, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it's really funny. Even with the Snyder Cut that everybody's excited about, I'm not seeing any new Wonder Woman shots. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that. just not, it's not, oh, it's just not seen. It's just yeah. out of sight, out of mind. I'm yeah. not here for that, you yeah. know. So, also, yeah. And so I think the, again, you, you're not going to know what you, what you haven't seen you know, you don't know what you don't know until you see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's just one of those things that somebody somewhere is going to have to take a chance with their money. Yeah. You know, and give it to some, let somebody do what they do. And I don't know how much of that is going to happen on the big screen because I think we're headed for a lot of stuff dropping on streaming, dropping yeah. on VOD, dropping on, you know, Netflix, simply because of the pandemic and everything. Because mm-hmm. fall's coming and that's cold season, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you think I'm sitting in the theater in October, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 I definitely think that now there's so many people out also that have been, that are now have time to write and create. I think we're going to also see some really amazing stuff heading to places that we weren't thinking of, like YouTube originals or, you know, people doing stuff on Twitch and things like that. I I think we're going to see some really interesting content come out of this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So do we have any final thoughts about Lovecraft Country? What else, uh, Krama, what are you most excited to see from the series? How about that? (laughs) What do you want to see next? I (laughs) keep seeing in the trailer, I keep seeing Hippolyta in like this Roman gear with all of these like Amazons. I need that. (laughs) Like I need to figure out what that is, whether or not they're looking at her ancestor or whether or not we're looking (laughs) at, you know, uh, something in the future. Also, um, 
and and here's the thing. I'm I'm mad that George is mm-hmm. he's gone. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> but I I don't know. My thing with that is you that actor uh both him as well as uh Hippolyta Mm-hmm. Um, Hippolyta is played by Hang on one second I'm just Anjanae trying to sure. Ellis Yeah, Anjanae Ellis You don't put Anjanae in a role yeah. And have her sit in the house mm-hmm. Like anybody yeah. knows who knows Anjanae Ellis From other roles <laughs> she's done So that's how I know, I'm like, no, they're about to do something really big yeah. Also, I have not read the book mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of people tell me That certain things have been switched Like her daughter, I guess yeah. the boy. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think uh, A few other things So I'm curious to see what they're doing with her. And I also want to see it's Lovecraft. Yeah. We already have proof. We already have a hint of the reanimator because Letty's back. So who's to say that she or the powers that are now inside um, of Tick can't mm-hmm. reanimate George? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so I can't wait to see, you know, that kind of stuff. And I know Shigath and Cthulhu are not the only yeah. Lovecraft monsters we're going to see. <laughs> so I'm like, what's the next one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so those I think are my, my three things. More monsters, what's going on with Hippolyta and what we're going to be doing with their, uh, I, I want to see George again. Yeah. Um, but and I'm here for anything that Journey is doing on this show though. Cause that last episode was yeah. Full range. She, yes. She knocked it out She's of the park. awesome. Like, yeah. literally, if you look up the range in the dictionary, <laughs> it's Journey Strollett's image. That's it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's awesome. Me and I read the book, and I still feel like we're both not sure what to expect just because there's been a bunch of changes. So it's super exciting, yeah. like having an idea, but it could go anywhere, honestly. Do you like the changes? Or do you wish they kept some other things? I think I like the changes. Yeah. What do you think, Mia? Yeah, there the changes are really subtle, like you said, changing the mm-hmm. son to a daughter. So it's like it's just enough not to be like, oh, why would they do that? Or like I think the yeah. important thing is making sure that people are in character and then making sure that you're still pretty faithful to the plot unless it really needs some yeah. like, you know, that was like dump but for the most part they've been faithful in the best ways possible and so even yeah. some of the smaller changes i'm like oh okay i see why they did that so, yeah yeah <laughs> definitely so karma do you want to just let the listeners know what you've got going on what do you have next and just where they can find you on twitter and obviously on the blurred girl but where else um so I think most people know that I have the Blur Girl. You can find me all over social, um, T-H-E-B-L-E-R-G-G-U-R-L. I'm usually uh, on Twitter most <laughs> of the time. Um, and I've got like a few things going on. So I'm gearing up for um, season two of the Blur Girl Live. That's my show on Twitch, which is on the OS operating system channel um i've got and you can go there now to watch all of like season one for um i'm it's being re uploaded onto my youtube channel for people who were um hearing impaired with closed captions so you can watch that there and um i'm also going to be the everybody knows like about dc fandom and how they broke it into like two different (laughs) two different things um the first part of dc fandom that happened was just uh last 
I think, yeah, August 22nd. Um, the second part, which is coming um, in September, mm-hmm. I actually am going to be interviewing, there's a new Nubia comic coming out, awesome. um, who is speaking of Wonder Woman. Um, and I'm going to be interviewing the creators behind that. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot more stuff coming out. Um, I'm pretty sure that's September 12th, but I will, <laughs> I <think> so, yeah. <laughs> I will give you, I will check on that. Uh, so you can put it the right one in your show notes if it's wrong. Um, so I'm doing that. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm literally just trying to, as usual, I have my uh, bi-weekly column over at Sci-Fi called Indie Comic Spotlight and where I'm talking to all kinds of people working on some really amazing stuff that maybe will get adapted into uh, something live action. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's just writing, trying to gear up for the second season, um, not sleeping, drinking a lot of coffee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you're looking for me, you'll probably find me on Twitter or Instagram under the Blurred Girl. Awesome. And if any of the listeners have any questions for us, um, please make sure to leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts and we'll make sure to answer it in our next episode. Alright, see everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Thanks for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.